Welcome to the show. She's Amy Ouse. He's Scotty Kipfer. Welcome to the show, the first coronavirus edition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are practicing social distancing. And so, uh, Scotty, you are um, safe talking to us on your phone from home. And I'm yeah. from my home in the studio here. And we're making this happen. We will not quit. The show must go on, as they say. Absolutely. And uh, this week's guest is... Uh, great. We love him lots. He is a CMAO nominee. He is recently engaged. He has been uh, playing some shows with Gord Bamford up until recently. Yeah, he's working on a, a home renovation. He's got a brand new puppy. I feel like there's going to be lots to talk about. And he's, you guys are pretty good friends, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring him on. Andrew Hyatt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, we're good. Uh, we were just uh, mentioning that, uh, you know, Scotty is uh, taking this week that he's going to uh, social distance and he's uh, from his house and I'm from mine and uh, but we're happy to speak with you I know that you know things are a little bit topsy-turvy right now yeah it's a little wild but you know I think the whole world's in the same boat so we're doing okay and that's the thing that we need to remember right we're all in this together that's exactly it you know it's it's one of those things where you get a take care of everybody else and do what's responsible. You are from your home right now in Sudbury, Ontario. How's Sudbury treating you since you've been back from, uh, you know, the road? It's good. You know, it's a little bit of a challenge just because we are in uh, the middle of renovations right now. So <laughs> we're, our, you know, our, our space is what I would consider to be limited at this moment in time. And there's a bit of a mess, but whatever. It's It's not the end of the world. It's starting to warm up. We've got a big backyard and basically just teaching the dogs new tricks you've got a new puppy right yeah she's uh well she's almost i guess she'd be 10 months old now um so she's settled in and she's a little doesn't realize how big she is yet a little wild at times but (laughs) overall probably the best puppy i've had ever really yeah she's really smart and she catches on really quickly i took her out uh i guess it would be two days ago to the backyard and and just for the first time put her on um, like a training leash and just to teach her how to heal. Mm-hmm. And within like 30 minutes, she now heals. Like if I say heal, she comes right to my side. So it's been pretty good. I noticed on uh, on the CCMA socials that they actually featured her. Her name's Jessie. And they featured yeah. her uh, on, uh, on the page just to spread a little bit of joy to all of us that, you know, might be confined to our houses right now. Yeah, yeah, it's an idea, I guess, that came down the pipeline um, through Red Umbrella, our PR team, and um, they reached out and just said, you know, if you've got whatever you want to do, whether it's like, you know, they said they, they could do, a, um, I guess you would call it like a, a like a rookie card for your pet, <laughs> or you could do like MTV Cribs, and I was like, well, that one's out because it would basically look like a homeless guy at this moment in time, right? Um, you know, because we're living in disaster but uh yeah i thought it was it was funny and i had the perfect picture just because for the two times we've tried to bathe her i don't think either of us lisa or myself has walked away without an injury so that's uh, that's also on the list of things we're trying to accomplish is just getting her into the tub with the water just trickling with treats so we've gone through a full bag of trees just trying to get her in. Now she'll go in with the water running, but getting it on her is a different story. Can I give you right. a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a tip there? Because I've got a Boston Terrier, Louie, who absolutely hates the water. And you know what I do when I need to get him in the tub? 
I put peanut butter on the backsplash of the shower, and okay. he just stands there and licks it, and then you can clean them up. Yeah, I'm going to try that. I've, I've heard <laughs> it. Um, I, I just I hesitate to even try to get her in there again just because the last time, I mean, I think I took more of a bath than she did, to be honest. So <laughs> she just gets wild, and she's about 90 pounds now, so it's... Uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it's preparing you for fatherhood, Andrew. Now, look, you've been taking a lot on because, I mean, you've you've got the dog, you've got the home renos, you were uh, going out on tour with Gord Bamford. I mean, how do you juggle it all? Well, I have an amazing fiance. That's that's how I do it because it's kind of a joke that I just kind of come up with the ideas and then I let her finish them. She loves the business and she's a designer. Um, and does a lot of like from the ground up builds and also designs for, for other people's homes when they want to renovate. And then she sources everything and she has a team. So when I'm gone, you know, like drywall and whatnot is already up. I didn't have to do any of that. We just gutted it. Um, I did some of the stuff in the bathroom in the basement, but then I left for the gourd tour and came home and it's pretty much finished. So she does a lot, a lot of work and she's not scared to swing a sledgehammer. You wouldn't know it looking at her, but. Um, I'm really lucky in that way. And then dogs, I mean, I'm home when I'm home, I'm home all the time. Right. So if I'm in my living room, the only time it gets a little complicated is if you're trying to record something and then you end up with a 90 pound dog on your back, trying to get your attention. (laughs) You should give uh, Lisa a little bit of a plug with her business. What is her business name? It's called Elsie design co. You can usually find her, on my Instagram, liking things or making fun of me, one or the other. But uh, yeah, check it out. She does great work, and uh, she blows my mind. Every single time she does a project, it's just like, I'm like, how did you see that? Even our bathroom in the basement, when she first put the tiles in, I was like, I don't, I, I can't see this. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand what you've chosen here. I think it's not what I would have picked. And then we get to the end, and I go, ah, okay. So you just I'm just an idiot. It. It's fine. <laughs> How's she handling isolation? Pretty good. Pretty good. So she because she works from home, and she's kind of in a lucky position right now where she's she's in the middle of a few different projects, and she's just in the design phase of them. So that tends to take up, like, a couple weeks. So... We've bought a little bit of time of just being at home and getting that done uh, on her end. And then on my end, I'm you know, just trying to stay busy. I actually just recorded a version of Rocket Man of all songs. Um, that I did a live video of it, which we'll put out. And then I think there's going to be an actual recording of it as well that at some point in time we'll put out if things keep going this way because content is what's going to keep me alive and eating. Here's the thing. So I was going to talk to you about this because uh, we are seeing more and more artists performing from home because of the obvious circumstances uh, uh, and how social distancing has created the need to do this. Do you think that after all of this is over, that uh, kind of thing is going to stick? I think it will. I think you're going to see even like even now, I've had conversations with other artists talking about the ability to stream, um, like do a live concert, whether it's through a co- like a company like Zoom or um, Google Hangouts or whatnot with like a, a pay what you want kind of button. Obviously, at the moment, everybody's just kind of doing it to raise money or out of goodwill just to kind of, you know, put a little bit of magic out there. 
Um, but I think in the future, it's definitely going to be a viable option. I know there's artists, I actually read an article, uh, that there's an artist out of the States that's been doing it for a while. They run, um, they have like a PayPal button and they do Zoom uh, shows. So you sign up on email, you get sent a link, and then um, you can have up to 100 people in and they figured out how to get great audio quality coming out. We actually just hacked, my tour manager just figured out how to hack um Instagram, and I, I haven't seen anybody do it. I know Walk Off the Earth is about to do it, and I only know that because him and their tour manager have been talking back and forth. So instead of just being able to have like two screens, you can have multiple people. Hmm. So I'm interested to see where that's going to go once they're going to do the live stream first. But we're we're following shortly behind. Um, so yeah, I definitely, in a long roundabout way, I definitely think it's going to stick around. But I think the production value is going to go up. Even in the next like three weeks, you're going to see it it jump because, you know, that's all we have to do. And you uh, were a part of Instagram, an Instagram live show called Dieselbird with an um, so, like a huge collective of artists. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty wild what's been going on. Um, when Dan originally called me, he pitched the idea, and you know, every artist is their own worst critic. Number one, and. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I'm pretty sensitive about putting out content. I like it to be perfect. I hate. It's gotten to a point where I almost hate real live music because <laughs> I'm so used to everything being so perfected and we work so hard that every note that I've ever missed in my life, like I can still remember and live on. Um, but it's kind of nice to see music kind of going back to this place that is raw and real. And then, like, you know when you listen to old records, how you're like, oh man, you listen to Joni Mitchell sing, you go like, oh my God, like she missed half of those notes, mm-hmm. but it's it's perfect, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. in, in this weird way. And, and that character is kind of coming back. And I think that's something that became very evident with the Dieselbird Music Festival. You start to see character, you start to see a life to music that has kind of been lost. Yeah, I agree, man. I think, you know, to, to let the flaws just be... Uh, is, is something kind of interesting. Like, as I think you and I are probably wired the same way. Like, I want everything, I want every every note to be right. But then when you're playing live, you're obviously vulnerable to being human uh, and mistakes are going to be made. But I feel like, you know, some of my, my favorite recordings were were some of the most raw recordings. So you mentioned Joni Mitchell. I think Randy Newman's another one that, uh, you know, he, he isn't the greatest singer uh, but his performances are just stellar. Um, you know, there's there's loads of guys like that, and and I think I think you're right. I hope you're right. If we get back to this space where music is just allowed to be music and and it doesn't have the burden of having to be perfect, I think we're going to see some really interesting things. Before we got on this call yesterday, um, I sat down and I did this version of Rocket Man, and I spent four hours miking an acoustic, recorded it, and then I I did my vocal separately, and then I went back and I was just going to like mimic the video right just to just so that it sounded perfect and then i'm like i'm looking at it i'm like man this is this is like this barrier between real and not real for perfection so i set it up i did a one take with one mic in the room it kind of sounds shitty but it kind of sounds awesome at the same time and i'm like this is what i'm putting out like this (laughs) this feels more honest especially for right now it's like i'm going to own these seven notes i missed in this and i don't care because it's real i love that why Rocket Man specifically? Uh, so it's it's been a favorite for a long time. Uh, I just I thought it was kind of fitting. Um, just right now, it kind of feels like in this isolation, we're living in a different world. And to me, that's kind of that 
that song is, you know, about change, about transition. I know, I know it's about something completely different for me. That's kind of what it's about, right? It's just this idea of like living in a reality that's not real. So it's, yeah, it's just a favorite song. I mean, let's talk about uh, your music for a second. Now, I, I, I've I, known you for quite a while, uh, but I happened to just graze over um, your website, and in your bio it said that you are a mix of rebellion and respect for tradition. Do you want to elaborate on that? Damn, I got a... I gotta pay somebody more money. <laughs> they need a raise. That's great. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was raised on a mix of old school music with my grandparents. You know, we didn't do Christmas music. We did like Waylon Jennings and Loretta Lynn records. Um, and and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not some purist who can name you every Waylon and every Loretta song ever. Um, but you know those those melodies as as simple as they were and as simple as they were they influenced who I am and then also you know my mid teens I loved punk music that was punk and rock when I what I like lived for uh, and then there was like a weird not weird but just like a cheesy Christian music phase in there too so all of those things have influenced me and I've tried to you know over the years. Um, kind of bring what I love about music back into what I'm doing. Whereas, you know, when we started out, um, there was a little more label say and a little more direction. Uh, and now I feel like I'm able to be a little bit more myself, like in the current single, having a conversation with Scott saying, no, I don't want this to have banjos in it and all these auxiliary instruments because I don't have that live. Give me three electric guitars, Mm -hmm. give me drums, give me bass you know, bring in this like dashboard-esque element of like me screaming a high note at the end. You know what I mean? Like just, just bringing what I love about music and putting it in the collective. I dig I, that, man. Yeah, I love that if for If that sure. answers your question. <laughs> yes. Uh, let's talk a bit about your single, I Needed That. I've noticed over uh, following your career that you've really kind of embraced uh, your rootsy side as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Music, the the business of music and the love of music are two very different things, right? Um, and, and trying to, to put those together has been an interesting balance for me. This, I've, I've swung completely one way all the way to the other side, and then I feel like I've kind of met in the middle. Um, I don't know. I chased putting out music that was strictly um, for commercial use, and I just w- woke up you know, four years into a career with no radio success at all, hating my life. <laughs> um, and then and then I kind of went, okay, well, I'm also going to do the stuff that I love and, and then also have, you know, the singles that are a little bit more commercial but find songs that mean more to me and that I'm not chasing some trend that is already over, which, you know, a lot of people get caught up in that. And it, it seems to be working. You know, we... I'm I'm super fortunate to be signed to 604 Records, and they've been incredibly supportive. Anytime I call them and say, you know, with the last record, we did Kane and Abel, and Kane was, you know, the full band, a little bit more commercial, still songs that meant something to me, um, but were a little bit more built up. And then with Abel, you know, I think we spent maybe $4,500 total on mm-hmm. those four or five songs, and recorded them with one mic and an acoustic guitar and a keyboard and a vocal and put it out. And 
you know, those songs have made me more money than the commercial stuff, which is kind of crazy to think about. But just through, you know, Sirius XM, North Americana, streaming them uh, and picking up a couple of them. It, it's just interesting how the stuff that I wrote for just me has kind of kept me alive. So, yeah, I guess I've tried to keep that in my music and it's paying off. That's super interesting, man. And you, and you mentioned the uh, the Christian connection. Um, was that present in your head when you were naming the records? Uh, yeah, that's that's the symbolism was definitely something where, you know, two brothers that one ends up killing the other one. Uh, that was pretty much how I felt at the time when, when I was getting to that point in music. Um, before we started Kane, I just, I told, I remember telling Scott and talking with John and Dallas and saying, um, I just, I'm so sick of putting out music that doesn't feel like it's from a time and a place in my life where I feel like I'm trying to chase this, like, you know, if you listen to the first single that we ever put out, which some people don't realize how far back that goes, but Love Drunk was like, I think seven years ago, I want to say, or six years ago. Um, And that was basically just chasing Florida Georgia line sound, right? It was like, okay, this is working. It's current. And I was very heavily pushed in that area. And I had just gotten to a point where I was ready to break. I just didn't love music anymore. I I was thankful to be in it, but it had kind of sucked the passion out of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where I was. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make a record that's full band that I love, but I also have these songs that I've written along the way where I felt like I was just being crushed by this weight of chasing something in the industry that I wrote for me just to kind of, to release that frustration um, and to be able to put them out kind of kept me, kept me alive. So, yeah. Wow. That sounds really heavy. Holy cow. Like, did you have uh, full support when you went to uh, 604 records and you said, look, this is, you know, what I want to do. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure that you did, but I mean, how did they handle that? Because I know, t- uh, you know, sometimes with labels, they have uh, perceptions and expectations from their artists. Yeah, the best thing about 604 is that John is 100% for the artist. He will get flack from industry people often for saying exactly what's on his mind, but most of the time it's in favor of artists and he's just calling out industry. Um, and I will, I will back that guy. And his, what he's, he said so many things that have been misinterpreted uh, and kind of morphed and turned into something else just in witch hunt ways. But um, in my experience, he's always been a hundred percent behind us. I went to them and said, Hey, I've got these five songs. Um, actually I think I went and I said, I got three songs and I want to put out. And they said, just give us a budget. They didn't even ask to hear the songs. They didn't ask to hear demos. They just said, yes, let's do it. And I said, my idea is I want to do a side A and a side B on, on vinyl. They said, absolutely. Whatever you need. They gave me the budget. And then I went back to them and I said, okay, so we actually recorded an additional two songs and now I need extra money for them. They said, that's not a problem at all here. They greenlit it. And as soon as it went out, they said, if you want to continue doing this, feel free. So that's I've been really, really fortunate in that way. Very cool. So in, uh, in the process for you of picking songs, I know uh, you've, you've recorded some stuff by, uh, by Jaron of Cadillac 3. You've cut some Thomas Rhett stuff. Um, how much of, of the stuff that you're recording, Andrew, is um, stuff that's coming from the outside and how much of it is actually coming from your own brain? Uh, it Honestly, it, it varies record to record. Um, I feel like singles tend to be outside pitches. Um, it's really hard to compete with the top writers in Nashville. You know what I mean? I needed that as a hardy track. 
You know what I mean? Like the guy, right. the, the, he's, they're just monsters, right? Like, so, and they're writing so much. Um, whereas the, the, like kind of the rootsier stuff, that's more where I gravitate on my own. Like when I'm left to my own devices, which in Sudbury is quite often. Um, <laughs> so, so when I'm up here writing, that's, that's what comes out. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's this, it's this balance and, you know, we'll get pitched 80, 90 songs sometimes. Um, and I, unless I feel a song like Scott will say, Hey, this is a great song. I'll be, I a hundred percent agree with you, but there is no moment in my life that I connect with when I sing that. And we won't, mm-hmm. right. We, we, you know, we've turned down a number one song because of that. And I can't tell you which song it was, but I've kicked myself over it. But then again, I go, I can't sing that with conviction. So, right. Right. Um, it's a mix and you know I hope to get to a point where I can write commercially viable country music um, but you know the reason I started writing music in the first place was just to get out what I needed to get out and just be honest and raw and uh, it seems to be working so I feel like I've kind of figured out my what works you know what I mean like there there's a formula for everybody and mine is write the stuff that I love that you know, the, the diehard fans are going to, are going to listen to and, and the deep cuts are going to be me and the singles will be co-writes or uh, pitches and, and hopefully they'll turn into co-writes. So this year I plan on diving in a little bit more on that, that end of things. But, um, as you guys know, I, I obviously I had a vocal injury for the last little bit. Um, not so much a vocal injury as an issue with my voice that, you know, I've got, I kind of shied away from writing rooms for a while. So, We'll see what happens in the future. How's your voice doing now? Uh, it's It's been better. Um, I finally actually, after the first show with Gord Bamford, I came home and I got results in. And I found out that I've got a hiatal hernia, which coupled with a lower esophageal sphincter. Yes, I said sphincter. <laughs> Hilarious. We can giggle. It's okay. Um, just found out that I've had acid reflux. And I've known this since I was 24, but there's so much swelling in my esophagus but it's, it's only working at about 60% capacity right now, oh, which wow. ended up with some, the inflammation kind of changed the way that I sang, but I've spent the last year in vocal coaching and it's come back quite a bit, but it's still a struggle. Um, but they figure I just got to get a surgery. And then about six weeks later, I should, I should be good if the swelling goes down. So I, I think I'm going to come back even stronger than I've ever been. So is it a similar surgery to nodes or is it something completely different? No, so luckily my vocal cords are completely, completely fine. It's just a matter of um, your lower, where my stomach is herniated, uh, it's actually popped up through the lower esophageal sphincter. Um, and that is right at my diaphragm. So every time I support, oh. I'm actually like pushing acid up into my, my oh, throat. Man. So, so yeah, it's, it's kind of this, it's, it's a catch 22. And then, you know, I've pretty much, and I say pretty much, um, not completely cut out drinking, but almost a hundred percent. Um, there's the occasional like last show of a three day tour that we just did, you know, <laughs> you know, light, light it up with everybody, but I know I don't have to sing for weeks. Yeah. Um, and then I, I quit smoking as well because after my meeting, they were like the two biggest things that are going to affect you is smoking and drinking. Um, and you know. I, I should have put that together in my mind because every time I'd smoke, I'd go, man, my voice feels weird, and then I'd do it again, and then I'd lose my voice for three days. But 
you know, we all have our, our loves and our, you know, addiction vices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Is this going to, like, are you going to have to kind of relearn how to use your voice again after the surgery? Uh, no, I should. Honestly, um, I, like, from what I understand, it should just be, it should just feel like I don't, like, right now it just feels like someone's strangling me because of, of all of the tension in my throat. Um, it's just, like, from the inside out. So because I've been training, like, my range has jumped significantly um, I used to live in like C, like jumping the octave in, in, in C for a male. And now like E, which is, you know, two steps up, I can, I can belt, like I can jump the octave in E, no problem. Um, so once the rest kind of is fixed, it'll just be a matter of tying it all together and uh, there'll just be less tension and pressure on my voice, which will allow me to kind of use it. And my pitch will get better because I'm not trying to, it's like trying to put your fist through a wall, right? You just got to, I got to back off a bit on the pressure. Uh, when do you go in for surgery? Unfortunately, I'm currently waiting on, they have to do a, um, a camera scope of my esophagus. So I'm waiting on that right now. Um, and as you know, with everything going on, hospitals are not exactly moving quickly. Mm-hmm. So, um, my my doctor is actually closed. Uh, the guy in Toronto who's doing all of this, they're actually closed until Wednesday this week. They've been closed for like three weeks, I think. So I'm just waiting to call because I haven't gotten a letter yet and I can't schedule the surgery until they know for sure that the inflammation is just because of the acid. They believe that's the case, but they just want to do a double check, make sure it's not an allergy or something else um, that's like on top of what else is going on. So... Mm. I'm hoping that I'll have info on that by the end of the week. And then they said, once I get that done within two months, I should be in. And then it's a six week recovery for total recovery. But they said within two and a half, three, I could be singing again and on stage. Wow. Well, dude, great, we, dude. we really do wish you a uh, speedy recovery on that. That's crazy to be. Yeah. I appreciate it. The best thing is, is I just know I'm not crazy now. That's <laughs> the best thing. Cause for the longest time I thought I was just, I had developed something in my head that didn't exist and knowing it existed has actually made me a better singer. <laughs> so, well, because as an artist, you know, you feel like you know, the stresses that maybe you would have brought it on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Made it up in my head and, and that I was just like one of those people who couldn't handle the pressure of the industry. And that, that like was a crippling feeling for a very long time, but it's been freeing. You got this. <laughs> so you were uh, out on tour with Gord Bamford, and I know that you were uh, sent home abruptly, but are those shows just postponed, or are they fully canceled? What's going on there? So at the moment, I mean, they've, they've rebooked everything. Um, there was a fall leg of this tour, so they've kind of tied it all in, which in a way works out better because now we're going to go out if everything goes back to normal, which who knows at this point, right? Um, so we won't actually lose any dates, which will actually be great. But I'm not holding my breath. I hope it, by fall, you know, we're back out on the road. That would be the ideal. But, you know, with everything going on, it just seems to be getting, getting worse and not better at the moment. So we shall see. We are uh, we are definitely keeping positive for sure. Now, Andrew, with uh, with everything that you've shared with us about you know the trials and tribulations of uh, being in the music industry, what is it that drives you to keep going on? 
Uh, foolish ambition? No. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> uh, you know, I love music. Like, if if I don't play guitar at home or if I don't sing, um, I get miserable. Like, I just get cranky. Lisa will turn to me and say, "Like, you need to, you need to play, or you need to like, you need to write because you're just you're unbearable right now." <laughs> um, so I, I think it's 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 become a just a release for me in life. Some people go to the gym, you know, some people go for runs. I, music is just, has always been kind of my release, um, for life. And I think it's just something I need at this point. Um, and I love it, right? There's nothing better. I was an iron worker. I've been a youth pastor. Uh, I was going through school to be a police officer and all of those things felt like jobs to me. And you can put me on the road, for 30 days and you know, I'll go to bed at 3 a.m. and I got to be up for radio at 6 a.m. to get to the station for 6.30 and then I don't play till nine and I don't get to sleep and I'll do that for 30 days and I will never once be like, man, I wish I wish I could just sleep or I'll never complain. It just, it doesn't bother me. I love it. I love every minute of it. So yeah, I, I just, it's just a passion, right? It's in me and I, I just can't shake it. You can't not do it. Exactly, exactly. I didn't know that you were a youth pastor. So you, me, and Scotty all have uh, similar things in common there because I actually uh, studied Bible college for two years. I was a Bible college kid too. <laughs> gotcha. I never got accredited, so I, I, uh, I never made it. But right out of high school, um, I went and I worked in a church um, it was my old youth pastor had a church in Southern Ontario and I went and I was doing the music for them. And then, um, their youth program needed something. It was just, there was nobody really doing it. So I took it upon myself and then I started taking classes. Um, but it, I just didn't last very long at it. I just, you know, I loved working with, um, the youth and I loved music and I love the idea of church, but people just tend to do what people do and wreck everything. So yeah, uh, it wasn't the pastor. It was just, there was, there was just some conflict going on with the church and I just couldn't handle it. I don't know if it was just my age um, or where I was at in life, but I just looked at it and went like, if this is, if this is the God that you believe in, then we don't believe in the same God. So I, I just, I went and worked in the mine after that. And there was a lot less bullshit. <laughs> totally, man. You know, it's it's so interesting. Like I found sort of the same thing over my my time in the church, and you know, it. I have no problem with the faith. I have no problem with you know religion per se. But yeah, it's like you know, it's not everybody there. There's totally. a lot of, of great people who go to church, but there's like there's a difference between religion and relationship, as catchphrasey as that sounds. Um, you know, you just go talk to somebody that works at Swish LA on a Sunday and they will tell you the same thing, you know, it's like dealing with old school Pentecostals. It's one of the worst things. It's just, there's just something about it. I don't know. Swiss chalet. What, what? It is the Christian chicken. <laughs> that's the Christian, that's the Jesus chicken. And they got the Jesus sauce. You know? <laughs> and then you put the Jesus sauce on the Jesus chicken. Hallelujah. Cranberry, that's the Holy Trinity. And that's how church began. Uh, let, let me get one of them uh, redemption combos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what it's called. Getting back to your music for a sec there, Andrew. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I have listened to a couple of your interviews because, uh, you know, I stalk you like that. But what, some, what are some of the goals that you've had for yourself that you feel like you've absolutely crushed? It's funny. This is kind of also one of the driving forces, which is, is 
bad that this is what has driven me to this point. But when I was in grade 11, um, my guitar teacher at high school pulled me into his office on the last day of school. And I, I later found out that he had just been fired. So he was just like, you know, he was letting off steam and I just happened to have a target on my back. Cause that's who I was in high school. Um, but he, he pulled me aside and he said, you know, Hyatt, he's like, you like to do things your own way. And because of that, you're never going to amount to anything in music. And that has stuck with me my whole life. And it's like, yeah, watch me. And so, so I think that that's been a pretty big driving force for me. Um, that was the question, right? What's the driving force? Yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> let your haters be your motivators. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, multiple times in my life, people have said, like, there's no way. My first band tried to kick me out because they said I couldn't sing. So I went and got voice lessons. And then, you know, they all came back and we all kept being a band. And it's just, it's constantly been these things. And then some of the, I guess, I always wanted to be on stage. I always wanted to sing. I always wanted to music. Like when my parents got divorced when I was 11, music was my refuge. It was my everything, right? I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And I guess I've always wanted to play and create music that could kind of be a lifeline to somebody else. I know that sounds cheesy, but music is just this beautiful thing that reaches everybody and speaks a million languages. And when I hear somebody, you know, they'll send me a message being like, Hey, I was going through this, or I'm going through a breakup, or I'm going through a divorce, or the loss of someone in my life, and this song has kind of carried me through. Like that's what keeps me making music. Totally, and I know that you know you played, uh, for instance, Boots and Hearts Music Festival in uh, Oro, Ontario, um, a few years back, and that's got to be pretty cool when you're playing, you know, this major stage, and you're seeing these people uh, singing your lyrics back to you. Yeah, that was that year. I'm trying to think what year that was. That would have been 2018, I think. Yeah, yes. two or three years ago. We we ended up being at Boots two years in a row. Once was for Sirius XM two years ago, and then the year before um, was the first time we had played it. And there was just like a moment where it was it was torrential rain before we started to play. And I looked at the guys backstage, and I was like, "Okay, let's up. There's probably going to be nobody here." but you know, let's just consider it like practice on a great sound system. Mm -hmm. And then like three minutes before we went on stage, my drummer, Theo at the time, he ran back and he goes, Holy shit, man, there's people out there. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we were like awesome. And he's like, and they keep coming. And then we went out and by the end of the set, it was packed. You know, we're playing album cuts because we, we had only had, I think one or two singles that had had any success at that point in time. I think it only actually just one to see people singing, songs back to us that was like it was magic for us we got off stage and we were like little kids on christmas just like hugging and like loving our life so well, it's like a it, drug isn't it totally it oh it's, it's the worst drug <laughs> <laughs> it can it gives you nothing back for years right. and years and years right. but you get you know 30 minutes of the high and we'll chase one the rest of your life hit. Yep. Well, and I love that about Boots and Hearts is because uh, the people that go there are actual genuine music fans. So, you know, <laughs> even you're getting on stage and you're thinking, oh, no one's going to come and see you. Yeah, they are. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's kind of similar to church in a way, for me anyway, because you put a bunch of people in a room and you get them singing. Mm -hmm. and you get a bunch of people thinking and focusing on the same thing. And there's an energy in that. Mm -hmm. Um you know, whether it's spiritual or whether it's 
you know, just something in the universe. I, I, I don't know, but I've experienced it multiple times, both in my career and other people's careers. You know, I went to Boots last year to see Sean Austin play. I know, I saw uh, you in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, and just seeing him play and then, you know, just see people into it. And then Morgan Wallen followed up, uh, played right after. And, like, there was something magical about that performance. It was just, it's, there's something there. It's, it's it's almost tangible. Like, you can, you can almost touch it and be like... Mm. All of these people connected, focusing on one thing is just this, it's it's magic. I don't know how else to explain it. Well, that opens up an interesting thing for me. And sorry to jump in there, Amy, but with the live thing, and as it relates to live shows in country music specifically, you know, a lot of shows, especially on the higher end of the food chain, are all tracked out. Yeah. Do you, do you find that with shows that are tracked like that versus strictly just a live band doing their thing? Do you think you can still have those sort of transcendent moments when everything is planned right down to the millisecond and it's all it's all there? It's not, you know, there are live elements, but by and large, it's the tracks that you're hearing as the audience. Do you find that that can impede the ability to have just a, a, an outstanding live performance uh, as a as a live band unit? I mean, I, I go back and forth on this because I think the majority of the people that are in that audience, they don't realize that, right? Like they don't, like most people aren't like, man, there's no banjo player on stage. Right. They don't even right. know, you know what I mean? So, I mean, does it affect the ability to, to kind of flow with your audience? Maybe sometimes. Um, but I think there's ways around that. You know, I, I think I've seen guys, you know, you have a fully tracked set and then you get to the end of a song and the crowd's just, going and you know you're ringing out a d chord or whatever and then they start singing like this little light of mine or something like that mm-hmm. and it's cheesy or whatever but the crowd you know it it bonds them and there's these magical moments so i i think if you're a performer and you're an artist you can definitely make it work um but yeah you know four guys on stage smashing instruments <laughs> and just making a bunch of noise like there there's something magic about that but yep. again you know you can put them in a club. It's a lot easier to do that as four people in a club than it is to do that in a stadium. You know what I For mean? Sure. You For almost sure. need, you need that to fill a stadium. So I think it just depends on the venue and, and the crowd and, there's a million factors in that. If that answers your question. Is yeah, no, absolutely. I know that things are uncertain right now, but I mean, looking ahead to say the summer or what have you, uh, what's going to be going on with you? Yeah, so uh, we've got a bunch of festival dates lined up. Um, we were supposed to be on the Gord Tour right up until that point. Um, so now I think if the social distancing thing goes away, and even if it doesn't, we might just do it um, distanced. Uh, I'm going to be cutting kind of another B-side record. Um, so between the shows and that and then the house renos, my backyard is... Uh, you know, 250 tons of dirt right now. So that's going to take up every every moment I'm not on the road. Um, and then I've got an EP that the plan is to release and then finish the, the B-side EP and then put them out as a record. So one will be called Neverland, which is already done. And the next will be called The Roaches, The Ravens, and The Wildflowers, which is a concept rep- record that... Ooh. I've, I've written everything on. It's about the three characters in the music industry and uh, 
some of them are about real people that will be very clear when the time comes but you know sometimes they got to write angry songs it, 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 it's like the andrew hyatt version of taylor swift records yeah yeah exactly except it's a little less like whimsical and romantic don't get me wrong i love taylor swift and there's some like beautifully crafted music in there i hesitantly reference ryan adams record where he did all the taylor swift songs yeah that just go, totally. goes to show how well crafted those songs are i mean oh, i'm not totally. i know he's you know he's done his thing and he's in trouble and i'm gonna stop bringing him up but yeah but that was a great record though like oh it was unbelievable all, you all can't deny that are. ryan adams is a monster musician oh he's one of my favorite, like, it makes me sad because I feel guilty now when I put the songs on. I'm like, ah, you're an son of a <laughs> Right. So. Okay, Andrew, it's time for Turn Us On. This is where we ask you to turn us on to something that you've recently discovered. It could be a video game. It could be a Netflix series. It could be a book, uh, an artist, or a, an album you've discovered. Anything that you've discovered recently that you would like to turn us on to. Okay. So there's a couple things, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I am like a huge Trekkie. I grew up on really? Star Trek. I, I love like 1987. Like I love it. Um, so the new Picard has been great. Um, I I really enjoy it. I think it's it's pretty nice. Um, <laughs> the uh, Jake Etheridge. I don't know if um, you guys have listened to that rock and roll song yet, but it's pretty badass um it's Mackenzie porter's fiance and it's just nice it's like very real very like not scripted music which i don't know how else to describe it um and then phoebe bridgers i don't know if you've ever heard of her either um there's a song called smoke signals um and that has kind of been my poison the last little bit it's just a sad introspective um one thing about country music is that the lyrics are always very like take you by the hand and like walk you to the store and yep, you know, buy a carton of milk and come home. Like it's very like literal and very like, this is what it is. Whereas I kind of miss lyrics that are very personal or personal rather to somebody um, as an artist and they kind of are open to interpretation. So um, she's been great for that. It's kind of inspired me for in my writing again. Um, because sometimes the literal is just a bit too much for me. But yeah, if you get a chance, Phoebe Bridgers, very good. And Jake Etheridge and Picard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are my, that's like, Picard's like my nerd alert thing. <laughs> you know, no spoilers, but when the board cube comes in, I'm just like, oh my God. You know, and it's like, lose my mind a little bit. I'm like, that's a board cube. <laughs> is is uh, Seven of Nine on there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nice. He's badass. <laughs> nice. I do love a badass chick. As Scotty in this situation, I am going to beam us out of Turn Us On and into the next thing. <laughs> Boo. Love it. Uh, oh, come on, Amy. That was good. I knew now. <laughs> uh, my Vulcan ears are tingling. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even. Have <laughs> All right. It's time for five questions. This is rapid fire. Don't think too hard. What is the song you wish you wrote? Ooh, uh, Cover Me Up by Jason Isbell. Nice. Love him. Yeah. And then Morgan obviously came and gave it new life. But uh, yeah, that song, from the moment I heard it, you know, 
girl, leave your boots by the bed. We ain't leaving this room till someone needs medical help and the magnolias bloom. Like, come on, that's a lyric. (laughs) I get, I got, I just got goosebumps. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's just like, so what a picture. Oh yeah. No, paints it for sure. Uh, what is your go-to stage outfit? Uh, lately it's been my Stetson with usually like a black t-shirt sleeves are optional and either a denim or a leather jacket over top. Follow-up question. Will that change after you release rocket man? Uh, <laughs> probably not. No, I, I, mean, I mean, I could probably rock feathers and like, a, you know, heart shaped glasses, but I'm going to leave that to Sterell. I would pay good money to see you do that. <laughs> well, we, we might get there. I might end up selling foot picks depending on how this economy goes. So, we'll yeah, see, right. you know. so you're a full beard guy. If you had to shave a section, would you rather be left with a mustache or a goatee? That is a tough question. Uh, I would probably leave a mustache because I've taken my beard down and left the mustache, and it's not too bad. It's just that initial shock is always the worst part, where you're like, "Oh my god, I have no chin." (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, you shave the mustache, and you're like, "Oh my god, I have so much nose." Right, (laughs) right. It just depends, right? It's like. Six of one, half dozen the other. <laughs> so follow-up question there, too. If you're going to be left with a mustache, what kind of mustache is it going to be? Oh, like a big duster, like a walrus. Yes. Yeah. Like both. Like with, Tom's uh, like, I'm actually working on it right now. It's, it's I have no top lip at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm going to go like a little Western. I'm going to trim the beard down a little bit and then. Just grow it long and then have the sides. Not full curl, but just out a little bit. I think that's, that's going to be a beaut for sure. Okay, oh, so yeah. dead or alive, you can choose artist that you would love to collaborate with. Hmm. Damn. Uh, man, This I'm going to get so much heat for this. But I would. there's, there's like a female and a male. Okay. So um, I would love to write, and this is super... Easy, but I actually had this conversation today because it's actually it'll happen. Uh, Kelly Prescott is one of my favorite writers and voices. I love her I so much, and Kelly, I, you yeah. know, I've worked with Jessica Mitchell, so also a Canadian whose voice I adore. But she's we've worked together and written together, and it's it's always magical. But there's something about Kelly, her music, um, Kelly and Chad actually both of them I'd love to work with. But then I'd love to work with Rob Thomas. Like I, I grew up loving Matchbox Twenty. Um, his Pop hooks are just kind of something that are my guilty pleasure. So I would love, I'd love to write with him. I couldn't be more surprised by that answer. I'm not gonna lie to you. I know it's it's like not it's not like it's not that cool, but it's also like that is literally current country music. If you right. go back and listen to Bad right. Twenty Records, you're like, that's what happened to all of those bands as they moved to Nashville and became country air quotes acts. So. One more question here. Would you rather binge The Simpsons or Family Guy? Family Guy. I, I There's a special place in my heart for The Simpsons, but it just doesn't... It, there was a time and a place when it when it was relevant, and I just don't feel like it's been relevant for a really long time. We've got one more game to play with you before we let you go, Andrew, and it is a uh, a game where you can't win no matter how you answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's my called, favorite. It's called Would You Rather. All right, you started off, Scotty. Okay, would you rather fall off the stage or unknowingly play a whole show with your fly open? <laughs> I feel like I've done both. So, uh, 
I think I'd rather do the fly thing because I almost recently fell off the stage again, actually on the second date of the Gord run. Um, they hadn't marked the monitors with tape and the light was in my eyes and I just smoked my foot and almost bailed. And yeah, it was, I literally heard <laughs> from the front row. <laughs> <laughs> the one yeah. guy that still watches the Simpsons is pulling a Nelson. Off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Simpsons are dead, man. Would you rather drink a jar of maraschino cherries or a jar of pickle juice? Oh, uh, man, I, I I know those are both supposed to be bad things, but I really like both of them. Uh, but if I had to choose, I'd, I'd take pickle juice. Okay. All right. Yeah, me too. I'm with you on that one. Would you rather relive hearing your song on the radio for the first time or have fans sing your song back to you from the stage? Ooh, sing, sing back to me from stage for sure. Hearing the fans sing it back to you, it's just like a drug. Yeah, it's like if you, the, the moment you can hold the microphone up and you hear people sing, it's like, oh, man, it's the best feeling. Would you rather eat gas station sushi or slam a package of Kool-Aid powder? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, gas station sushi. Would you rather appear in a movie with Paul Rudd or Chris Christopherson? Ooh. Uh, I mean, Paul Rudd's dead, right? No! He, no! No, who am I thinking of? Paul Rudd, he's... Oh, no, Paul Rudd, sorry. Yeah, yeah, uh, Paul Rudd, for sure, then. I was thinking of, uh, who's the guy from Fast and Furious? It's bad that I don't know this. Oh, Paul Walker. Paul, Paul Walker. Walker. That's who I was thinking of. Uh, no, Paul Rudd, for sure. Yeah, I'm going to get your back. <laughs> 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 That's like one of my favorite lines. That's so terrible. I'm fixing the f*** you. Like, great, you know? What a fantastic note to leave this on. Yeah. Andrew Hyatt, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us. That was a whole lot of fun. And after social distancing is over, we are looking forward to uh, seeing you back on the road, dude. Yeah, I'm excited. And uh, take care of yourselves. Stay distant. Thanks, guys. All we'll right. Talk we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. That's a great dude right there. Right? So down to earth and so driven. And it's great to see that uh, he's making waves in the country music scene. Yep. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. It was a slice. You can find Andrew on Instagram. He is at the Andrew Hyatt. We are at the show on the go. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, he's Scotty Kipfer. And she's Amy Ouse. Welcome to the show.